Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, we thank You and we praise You and we rejoice at the truth of Your Word, at the revelation of Your Son being raised from the dead. And that by His resurrection, O Lord, You bring new life to us this day. You bring restoration and reconciliation through that very death and resurrection of Your Son that we might come before You in Him and worship and praise and pray. Renew us this day and steady our hearts. Steady our hearts upon the love that You have given us that our love for You would be made new and ever-increasing all the days of our life. All of this we do ask through that very same Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hallelujah! Christ is risen! Hallelujah! What joy it is to gather this day to rejoice that the Lord has risen indeed, that He is the risen One, who is yet also the crucified One, the One who went to the cross for our sake, but has been raised back to new life, raised into a new glorified state for us. That is what we gather for this day. That is what we gather for every Sunday, after all, is to rejoice at the resurrection of Christ our Lord. But especially this day of Easter, we come together to hear the resurrection narratives, to hear of Christ being raised, of the tomb being empty. And what's always amazed me about this situation, about this moment in time is, no one saw Jesus leave the tomb. He just simply raised back to life and left the tomb. Abandoned his grave clothes, removed the face cloth and folded it up, and then he just left. The tomb still sealed, the tomb still closed up. He raised from the dead. He was risen from the dead. And he escaped from the tomb, leaving behind death and the grave forever. And we worship this risen Lord. We worship Him and rejoice that He has given us life through His new life. For by dying, He removes that which stands between us and God. And now by rising to life, He brings about that new life into us. That is a both and. For Christ to die upon the cross but not be raised is for the Father to not receive the work of Christ for us. And without His death, there would be no resurrection. For how could He rise from the dead if He did not die? They go together, one and two. One event leads directly into the other in order that salvation would be accomplished, in order that redemption would be accomplished, in order that redemption and renewal and restoration would pour out upon us this day and every day, that our hearts and our spirits would find healing, and through that healing, our bodies will find healing in the final resurrection. And so this day, we just simply hear these words and walk through what is happening on this first Sunday morning. This day after the Sabbath, for on that Sabbath day, Christ's body rested in the tomb. On the seventh day, He rested. And now on this eighth day, He bursts forth the new creation coming forward. The new creation being brought out of the future into the very present in the life of Christ Himself. In that resurrection life 
That glorified state that He has entered into now, no longer being just an ordinary man, but having a new kind of eternal life within Him. So overwhelming that our entire understanding of the resurrection of the dead had to be torn down, especially for those first believers. For those first believers, it was nigh impossible to believe that one man would rise up from the dead with new life. That one man would stand up and overcome death on behalf of all. They all knew the resurrection would happen one day. Those are the very words of confession from Martha when her brother lay in the tomb. And she said, I know that He will rise in the resurrection of the dead. But Jesus reminds her and directly tells her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And thus, He rises from the dead, ahead of all, being the greatest amongst us, because He has died the greatest death to remove that sin that causes death. And so He rises up, changing all of reality, bringing new creation for us to receive, for us to be made new by. And on that first day, the eighth day, the first day of new creation, the eighth day of all things, you have the women going that day after the Sabbath to the tomb. The other Gospels let us know that they are bringing the spices, they are bringing the ointments, they are bringing the very things to anoint His body that are necessary and part and parcel of the burial of the dead. Hastily on Friday morning, or Friday afternoon, He had been taken down from the cross wrapped in linen shrouds. And some anointing oil had been wrapped into that by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. But they did the bare minimum because they were in a rush to get Him into the tomb before the sun set, before the end of that Friday afternoon and entering into the late evening, entering into that evening time when it would be the Sabbath. And so they got Him into the tomb but He had not been properly anointed. And here we see something about these women, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, and many others went to the tomb. Matthew only makes it a point of listing these two, but the other Gospel writers, they remind us that there's also a woman named Salome who is probably the mother of James and John. Also, and other women who went to that tomb to anoint the body. And as they were going... They were wondering, how will we get into that tomb? But a note about the women here. The women are the only ones who never completely abandoned Jesus. There at the cross, they stayed with Him as He hung dying upon the cross. St. John was there with them. But they all stayed there. They followed Him to that cross. And they watched Him give up His life. And now... On this third day, they are the only ones approaching the tomb. The disciples have gone into hiding. The disciples are are hiding away to get away from the crowds. But here the women go to go take care of the body of Jesus. Out of their love and their loyalty for Him, they do not want His body to not be properly prepared, to to not be well treated in His death. It's easy to criticize everyone's lack of faith in that moment. After all, all those who have been closest to Him have been told over and over that He would die, but He would rise. He told them, I will will be laid to death, but death will not keep its grip upon Me. None of them had grasped it. But nonetheless, the women, though not comprehending 
the truth of what is about to happen, what they are about to witness. They go to be in that tomb to take care of His body. Though they lack the faith to believe that Jesus could possibly rise, they lack no love for their Lord. Even His closest disciples were unable to bring themselves to approach the tomb. But the women went to the tomb, though fearful, fearful of those who might respond badly to them wanting to take care of Jesus, but nonetheless they went. And it's a joy that they went, for they get to see the empty tomb first of all. They don't know how they're going to get into the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. But by the time they get there, the stone is rolled away. It is knocked over with an angel sitting upon it and the guards passed out, for that's what Matthew says. That a great earthquake had come because the angel of the Lord had descended and he rolled the stone away and turned it over and he sat upon it. And such was his appearance like lightning and his clothing white as snow shining there resplendent before these guards that they just simply pass out from fear. It is too glorious of a moment of a spectacle for them to consider and process and they just pass out. And so the stone is removed. Not so that Jesus can leave the tomb like I said before. He has already left. He is free of it when the angel comes. It is empty before the stone is ever taken away. It's removed so that the women can see the reality of the resurrection. It is removed so that all who come to that tomb can see that Christ is no longer there. That they can all be witnesses of this great and glorious yet confusing event and moment. It gives the first proofs that removal of the stone that Jesus has left the tomb empty by His resurrection. There is now no body there to be cared for by these women. It has been renewed and revivified. It's been given an unending kind of life, eternal life, filling it to the brim. Transforming even the very being of that physical body into a glorified estate. Revealing to the uttermost in this man, the deity, residing within. And for this man, Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And here it is fully revealed through His resurrection. And as the women come up, they see the angel and they are even more fearful of what is occurring. And so the angel says, do not be afraid. Yes, you see me, an angel of the Lord before you, shining like the sun, breaking forth like lightning, but do not fear. Do not faint away at such a sight, but rejoice at what this means. You have no reason to weep now for the death of the one you love, for something grand and glorious has happened and everything has changed. And now let me tell you what has happened. No more do you weep, no more do you fear. Joy is now for the women. For they have not found what they thought. They thought they would come to find the dead body of Jesus in the tomb. But He's no longer there. The angel reports, I know that you seek Jesus, the crucified one. But He is not here. Jesus Christ who was crucified. An overly literal translation would say, the one having been crucified. And I love being overly literal with this statement. The one having been crucified. The one who was truly put to death by crucifixion, but now is alive and living. 
bringing about the effects of that crucifixion into this world. That there was a purpose for that death. There was a purpose for Him to be put in the tomb. And now there is the effectiveness of that death spreading out to the world. An event that continues moving forward more and more changing hearts and lives. And what is the effect that springs forth out of that death and resurrection of Jesus? It's salvation for all who take refuge in Him. It is salvation and redemption because His death has satisfied the wrath of God against all our sin. And so redemption and renewal are brought now through His resurrection to all of us who trust in that great work of Jesus upon the cross. And even more, having been crucified, He continues to bear those very marks. That work of salvation is imprinted upon His physical being. His resurrection doesn't undo the scars. It doesn't remove the marks upon His forehead, the scars in His hands and His feet. He wears those as a glorious mark to remind us of the way of salvation, the way that sinners are saved. He bears the marks of the cross. And so when we look to Christ, we see that He bears the crucifixion in His body that we can then behold what is accomplished through that in His resurrection. A perfect reminder to us that God has brought love toward us sinful people. Such love that He took upon Himself the death that was rightly ours. The crucified One who is no longer here. He is not here for He has risen. Just as He said, His body hasn't been stolen. It hasn't been taken away. Grave robbers have not come in the night. But He is alive and risen from the dead just like He said He would do. And faith flickers. Thoughts remember. As they come in, as the angel invites them, come and see where He lay. And what will they see there? They'll see the empty grave clothes lying on the rock. The other Gospels fill in the details here. Matthew just simply has them go in to see what has happened, to see where He lay and to see that He is no longer there. But the other Gospel writers tell us that the grave clothes are simply laying on that stone. And off to the side, on a shelf, is the face cloth taken off of Jesus' face and folded up and set on the shelf. As though in the resurrection power, the grave clothes just simply fell off of Him, but then He sat up and removed that and set it somewhere else so that people would be able to see, look, He got up from that slab of death. And then He removed the face cloth marking that He was dead. And He set it elsewhere. He leaves these markers of the grave in the tomb. He leaves these markers of death behind. And He has removed Himself from the tomb. These symbols of death remain, for He has overcome death itself. No longer does it hold this man. No longer does it reign over him. He Himself reigns over death, for He has conquered it. He throws it down, breaking its teeth and its claws and ripping from it its stinger that pains us so. Where, O death, is thy sting? St. Paul says, no more does death have a sting and no more does it have dominion for us. It has no dominion over this man, Jesus. And so for all those who trust in Him, death shall have no sway over us. It is no longer to be feared as a foe that triumphs over us. 
It is now but a passing moment from this old life into the fullness of new life. Death has no claim upon us because Jesus has overcome it and thus has no claim on this resurrected one. This crucified and resurrected one cannot be claimed by death anymore. He is now the one who once was dead but is now alive forevermore and that is what we are celebrating. That no claim can be put upon us for Jesus cannot be claimed. Remember just a few weeks ago when I mentioned how Jesus' holiness swallows up our unholiness. It undoes our unholiness so that when someone who is unholy touches Him, they are made clean by the great cleanness that is Jesus Himself. The same is true for death. When death tries to touch Jesus because He is so full of life, being the living God in human flesh, that death cannot hold Him. It cannot hold on to Him. Death touches Him and He touches it back and death comes undone. He swallows it up with new life because His life is greater than death in all of its fearfulness. Even with death taking hold of Him and laying hold of His body and His dying upon the cross, it is only but a moment. For only a moment is He in the tomb. And in that moment, death clings and tries to hold on to Him. But He defeats it. He overcomes it. And because He has overcome death itself, brothers and sisters, in the midst of death trying to hold on to Him and Him breaking the bonds of death, Sheol itself is upended. All those saints who had died before His coming are freed by His work. They are freed by His defeat of death. He frees those saints from Sheol and leads them into heaven. Jesus allowing death to touch Him undoes death itself. So much so that even the faithful dead prior to Him are freed and released from its hold and they are carried and triumph to heaven itself. As He declares His triumph over all His foes. Death, hell, and the grave cannot hold those who belong to Christ. Not even those who died prior to Him coming to this earth. If they belong to Him by faith, they are now risen. Death must let them go, for death has been cast down by Christ's resurrection. Death's mere touching of this one so full of life causes death to lose all its power. And that is the message the women go forth with. The angel tells them to go and tell the disciples that Jesus is alive, that He is well, and that they will meet Him again. They must go. The women who have witnessed this empty tomb, who have witnessed the reality of the resurrection, must go. It can't be held back. It can't be hidden. It must be proclaimed. As their faith is quickly being restored by this reality. And even more so as they go, as they depart from that place. Running with fear, but great joy. And they meet Jesus suddenly. Suddenly Jesus is there before them. Crying out, greetings. And what do they do? Seeing the fullness of who He is in that moment, they fall and worship. They take hold of His feet and cling to Him, worshiping Him, seeing Him as the crucified One who is now risen from the dead. The One who has broken death itself. By Jesus' resurrection, our faith is healed. Our faith is lifted up. Our trust is made whole once more, just as our bodies will be in that day of final resurrection. 
our trust becomes strengthened by remembering His death as well as His resurrection that will make all things new. In Christ, all is made new by Him. And so we know that His sacrifice is accepted for that sacrifice deals with sin and death and in the Father receiving that, the Father undoes the death of Christ. He undoes the effects of death upon Christ Himself because that work of resurrection is a work of the triune God. It is not just Jesus causing Himself to rise from the dead. It is the Father acting to bring Him new life. It is the Holy Spirit descending and lifting Him up out of the places of the dead. And just as Jesus promised throughout His Gospels, He brings Himself back as well. All three persons are working to bring Jesus back from the dead. And the New Testament declares each of them as actors in this event. It is the glorious work of God Himself to prove that Christ is the righteous Son who has dealt with sin, who has dealt with that which separates us from God, who has dealt with that which has broken our life to pieces. The Son is the righteous One with whom the Father is well pleased, and above all, it is demonstrated by that resurrection from the dead. And what do we do this day now? That, resurrected, that this resurrected Christ has overcome sin, death, hell, and the devil for us. What do we do? We do what St. Peter said. Believe in Him. In his sermon to Cornelius and his family, he says that this man has been raised from the dead and He will be the one who judges the living and the dead. And as Scripture has declared, all who believe in Him will receive forgiveness of their sins in His name. That means that through this man, sin must be dealt with. If he comes to judge, if he comes to be the judge against sin, and those who believe in him are forgiven through his name, then he judges us righteous. He accounts us righteous. He has dealt with that sin. And those who believe in him are forgiven of all their sins. But why should a single man's death accomplish such a great amount of work? It is because this one man is God Himself. God Himself who has taken on our debt. Who has taken our sins upon Himself. And by taking it upon Himself destroys that very sin that stands against us. And when that debt is undone and destroyed, He raises His Son back to life. He raises this man, Jesus, back up. Because Jesus has ever has overcome even sin itself that holds us in bondage. That sin that has led to death is now defeated. And with sin being defeated, death itself is defeated. So what can we but do? We can but rejoice. We can believe. We can trust and look to this one who has thrown down our greatest enemy. And in believing that new life flows into us, it comes into us. St. Paul tells us that if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things that are above. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. That is our response to this great salvation, to this great resurrection, the rising from the dead of this one glorious Son of God. That we too look above. We too look up to the heavens where He has gone, where He has ascended. Our minds come to be placed upon that crucified One who is now risen. 
We too are to live in a resurrection life, leaving behind our old ways, leaving behind the sin, confessing those sins that still overcome us. And with that new life, we seek the things above. We seek that which is above us, which is God's righteous will. And our minds are freed from the slavery of sinful thoughts and actions and are now renewed and directed toward Christ Himself. And thus we died in Christ as He died for us. And now that He too has been raised for us, we too are raised for the sake of Christ. His new life flows into us and renews us that just as He has new life, we too get new life. Just as He has been raised from the dead, we too are raised from the dead. We too will receive glorified, righteous bodies that will be so unlike what we have today that we would want to worship these new forms as C.S. Lewis, Lewis, not quite a saint yet in the canonical sense, but nonetheless sainted for He has entered into the throne room of heaven. He stands before the Father with the Son, worshiping Him, glorifying in Him, knowing so many deep truths now, the veil being lifted away, looking forward to that glorified estate when our bodies are made new and raised back from the dead and our spirits reunited. A new creation is made known to all of creation. All things are made new by Christ's resurrection. And so let us rejoice, brothers and sisters. Let us cry out, praise the Lord, and alleluia, for Christ is risen this day. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.